Anne of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When they saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the ground. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Thanks, Carl. I was uh, just going to say, um, before I start, I'm, 
you know, I'm not very good at saying things sometimes, but um, every time Steve leads a service, I think to myself, I'm so, I'm so thankful for Steve's ministry. So thank you, Steve, for his ministry. I, and I know lots of other people are as well, but uh, it's one of those things you never say, is it, I think, but often think. So, um, yeah, thankful to God for uh, your ministry, Steve, among us. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you're a God who gives us good gifts, unexpected gifts, uh, but precious, and that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and who have been called according to your purpose. And Lord, uh, many of us here are, are those people. Lord, we know your love and we know your call in the gospel. And Lord, we know your goodness and we pray that you would remind us again this morning of of those things and open our hearts uh, to rejoice in them and to delight in you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Sometimes I think uh, life is full of unexpected surprises. Sometimes life goes as you think that it will, uh, but sometimes it's full of things that you just never expect. I often say that uh, almost everything I've ended up doing in life, uh, I never thought that I would do. Uh, So I never thought that I would work as an engineer Uh, That was the last job that I was going to have when I was in high school. Uh, I never thought that I would be in ministry. I remember catching the train across the Harbour Bridge and thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to get into the Navy. Uh, What am I going to do with my life? Well, I sure as hell don't want to be in ministry. Um, Yeah. Big mistake. Uh, I never thought that I would end up living in Tasmania. Uh, The end of the world. Uh, I never thought that I would end up playing the trombone again. I thought that part of my life was over. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'm sure there are things that you can think of as well uh, where, where you've been uh, surprised by the turn that your life has taken. Uh, but sometimes it's not just uh, circumstances. Sometimes it's people as well, isn't it? Sometimes people surprise us. Uh, sometimes it's the people that we least expect uh, to help us, they're the ones who actually stick through us, uh, stick with us in the most difficult times of life. Um, you know, it's the people who are, who are maybe not really our friends, actually, who who walk alongside us in, in really challenging times. And sometimes it's actually the people that we trust the most that, that maybe we feel let down by. Now, life is full of unexpected situations, I think, both good and bad. And Exodus 2 is kind of full of those kinds of things as well. It's full of unexpected turns, uh, unexpected events, unexpected people doing unexpected things, unexpected kindness, unexpected hostility, uh, unexpected gifts. And yet, although they're unexpected for the people who are kind of facing them, experiencing them, Uh, actually, when we step back, we can see clearly the hand of God behind the things that are going on uh, here in this chapter. What we see in this chapter is uh, that through these unexpected events, God is continuing to work out the things that he's promised to do. He's raising up a man, Moses, uh, to deliver his people. If you weren't here last week, we looked at chapter 1 and we saw how God was looking after his people and that even through slavery and even through the threat uh, of, of their children being murdered, God was doing what he had promised. Uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time had tried to have the, the, the baby boys of the Israelites murdered. He was worried that they were going to grow up and that they were going to take over Egypt, that they were going to conquer Egypt uh, and destroy them. And yet, 
even though Pharaoh set about this uh, evil plan, God, through these two midwives, Shifra and Puah, God was working through these two women to protect his people. And as this chapter begins, that threat has not yet um, dissipated. That, that threat is still there. Uh, and so it is that we, we have this kind of terrifying reality in the first few verses of chapter 2, where this couple, this uh, certain man and a certain woman from the tribe of Levi, they have a baby boy. Uh, and we've just heard about what Pharaoh's plan is, and we think to ourselves, well, what's going to happen? Here's this child being born into this terrible, this terrifying situation. What's going to happen? Will he survive? What are his parents going to do? How are they going to deal with that? And already from the outset, his mother, the mother of this child, the mother of Moses, sees that there's something special about her child. The NIV says that she saw he was a fine child, which kind of sounds like maybe uh, he was, uh, you know, he was just kind of adorable or something like that. But it seems that there's something more than that which is intended. It's not just that she looked at him and thought, well, isn't he beautiful? But actually, she somehow recognized that he was favored by God, that this child was, was somehow special in God's plan. Twice in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7 and in Hebrews 12, there's this suggestion that Moses was somehow honored and valued by God, even from birth, even from the moment he was born into the world. He'd been set apart by God for a special purpose. And Exodus 2 gives us this suggestion that Moses' mum realized that that God had plans for her child. And so she decides then to hide her son. She hides him for three months in her own house, but after a while that just becomes untenable, uh, it's, not, it's not workable. Uh, she has to find another way. And so she does what just seems outrageous, really, doesn't it? She grabs a basket, she makes it waterproof, she puts her son in it, she takes it down to the river, and she leaves him behind. Uh, the exact language used here to describe the basket is used actually in only one other place in the Bible, uh, and that's to describe Noah's ark. Uh, in other words, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that this lady, this mother, is reenacting something from the history of God's people. She's reenacting with her own child what God did with his ark in the life of Noah. That is, she's trusting God to keep her child safe. An extraordinary act, isn't it, of, of faith? Uh, imagine wrapping uh, your baby up and leaving it floating in the river. H how do you even come at that? Uh, except, I suppose, if the danger for that child's life is so grave and your trust in God is so, <laughs> so enormous that you think, well, there's no other way. Something has to be done. The child can't stay in the house. And this mother knew that she had to trust God, that if he really is favoured by God, then God will sort things out. And miraculously and unexpectedly, God does exactly that. With Moses lying in the basket uh, at the edge of the River Nile, who should come down to the river but the daughter of Pharaoh? And at first you think, well, there's probably nobody worse who could come to the edge of the river than the daughter of the man who's decreed that every child has to be put to death. Moses' sister is standing there in the bushes hiding, waiting to see what's happened. And she's probably thinking to herself, I, you know, if only someone else besides this woman had come. And yet, 
this daughter of Pharaoh shows unexpected and miraculous kindness. She has pity on this this child. She knows exactly who Moses is because she says in verse 6, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She's not thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's an Egyptian baby and, uh, and, we'll, save, and we'll save him. No, it's a, this is a Hebrew child. This is one of the children who my father <laughs> has ordered should be put to death. And what does she do? She rescues him, she protects him, she cares for him. It's extraordinary. It's an incredible act of generosity and kindness. And through it, God was working out his plans to save and rescue his people. We think at first that Moses is in the most dangerous place in Egypt, but actually by God's providence, by God's uh, sovereign care, he ends up in the safest place he can be. He ends up under the care and the kindness of the royal household. He actually ends up in a better place after than he was before. We saw uh, last week that God works through his people to achieve his purposes for the world. He doesn't need us, but he invites us to be part uh, part of what he's doing. He invites us to work along with him because if we belong to Jesus, then God is our loving father and we are his children and we serve uh, our father in his world. But Exodus 2 shows us that not only does God use his own people, but actually God works through those people who don't know him. That's not a statement about uh, where those people are at uh, with God. That is, the generosity and kindness showed by this daughter of Pharaoh is not a statement about where she is with God. People can be totally opposed to God, and yet God can still use them in achieving his plans and purposes. Uh, That's so important, I think, for us to realise that God can use people who make no claim to know Jesus or to follow him. That's important for us to understand. It's important uh, for us to understand because uh, God... God does it all the time. God did it here with Pharaoh's daughter. He did it with Cyrus when the the people of God had been exiled and they'd been in exile for 70 years and God put it into the heart of Cyrus to bring his people back. And when God put it into the heart of Cyrus to to let the people go back, uh, Cyrus sent the people back not just freely, but he sent them with with all the treasures of the temple that were in the storehouses of Babylon. My sister uh, had a friend once who was an avowed atheist. She was a, you know, a strong atheist, a, a convinced atheist. And yet, remarkably, when they would go to parties or you know, dinner parties or uh, whatever it is, and people would start criticising Christianity, my sister's friend was the first person to, to, to arc up and come to the strident defence uh, of, of Christians. She was, she was an atheist, but she was... <laughs> she, she was arguing for the, uh, for, for the Christians. Uh, or I think of uh, during the recent uh, debate over gay marriage, uh, one of the strongest defenders of the rights of Christians to be able to present their views was uh, Tim Wilson, a, liberal, a gay liberal politician, uh, who often came out in support of the rights of churches and Christian groups to say what they thought. He was an avid supporter of gay marriage, but he was also a supporter of the rights of, of Christians and churches to speak their mind. Uh, or in a similar vein, uh, I, one of my favourite shows is Media Watch uh, on Monday nights. Uh, and in the last few years, a number of times, the presenter of Media Watch has come out 
actually in support of, uh, of, of Christians. Again, in a similar way, the rights of Christians to be able to say what they think. And criticise quite strongly, actually, people uh, who've held the opposite view. It's important for us to realise that God can use people who make no claim to know and trust him. It's important to realise that because it helps us to trust God in uncertain times. That is, we can trust that God is able to do above and beyond what we ask or imagine. You know, sometimes I think we think to ourselves, well, this is it. It's only us, this, this dwindling number of Christians against the whole world. But actually, God can use all kinds of people to achieve his purposes. God can use people that we would never expect. God can use even uh, our most uh, violent enemies to achieve his great plans and purposes. Uh, It's important for us to realize that God can use people to achieve uh, his purposes, even people who don't know and trust Jesus. But it's also important for us to realize that because it helps us to be patient with other people. It's not always us against the world. And sometimes, in fact, the love and the, and the protection of God can come through those people that we least expect it from. Uh, and yet, if God can use people who don't know him to achieve his purposes, then the flip side of that, I think, is also that just because God uses you or me, that doesn't actually say anything about where we stand with God. God can use us in profound ways. God is so determined to achieve his purposes, God is so loving toward all that he has made, that he can use you even if you don't know Christ. He can use you in profound ways without you knowing anything about the gospel. So just because God is using you to do good, it doesn't mean that you know Christ. God used Balaam in the Old Testament uh, to speak his own words. He used Balaam as a prophet. And yet the New Testament calls Balaam a wicked and ungodly man who didn't know God. God can use a crooked stick to make a straight blow. Uh, Or as someone told me recently, God can write straight on crooked ways. That is, the fact that God can write straight doesn't say anything about what he's using to do it. It doesn't tell us anything about ourselves. What it tells us about is the power of God. The great test of whether we know Jesus is not how much good God is doing through you, but whether with a humble and contrite heart you acknowledge your sin uh, to God and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus says that on the last day that many will come and say to, you, say to me, did, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many demons? And Jesus will say, away from me, I never knew you. It's not great works for God that shows whether we know Jesus, but it's our humility and trust at the foot of the cross. So God works to protect Moses by placing him in the care and the protection of the royal household. Uh, But that's not the only extraordinary thing that God does in Moses' early life. He also returns Moses to his own mother. This is just a wonderful uh, twist here in this story. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter stumbles across Moses at the edge of the river uh, and she immediately is looking for someone to look after him, uh, to nurse this child 
and, and Moses' sister is there waiting in the bushes and she has the presence of mind, I, I suppose, to jump out of the bushes and say, well, I can find somebody uh, to, to, to nurse this child. And Pharaoh says, oh, that's a great idea. Why don't you go off and find somebody? And she runs home to, to, uh, to her mother and says, Mum, quick, quick, come. You've got to come and, and, uh, and rescue your son. Uh, and she comes back, she brings back Moses' own mother. And, and Moses' mum must have just been absolutely floored when the daughter of Pharaoh said to her, well, would you be able to nurse this child that I've just discovered at the edge of the river here? Would you be able to nurse this child? And, and more than that, actually, I'll pay you to do it. She's just gone through this ordeal of discarding her own child at the edge of the river. She must have thought to herself, I'm never going to see him again. He may not live beyond the day. Uh, and all of a sudden, the daughter of Pharaoh is, is calling her and paying her uh, to look after her own son. Uh, this mother who risked everything now finds him returned, her child returned to her with more included. Uh, it's a wonderful illustration, I think, isn't it? It's a wonderful kind of flesh and bones illustration of the loving kindness of God. Uh, this story isn't an ironclad guarantee, I don't think, of how God always works in our lives. That is, this story is not an ironclad guarantee that if you give up something today, in a few hours, you'll get the same thing back from God. That's not what this story is saying. But it is a picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture. It's a living picture of how God can, can show us kindness, of how God can reverse what seems to be irreversible. Uh, and retrieve what seems to be irretrievable. That is, sometimes in our circumstances and in our desperation, we have to give things up. Sometimes in the service of Christ and in the service of uh, our Heavenly Father, we have to give things up. And it can be terrifying, it can be distressing, it can be worrying. Nothing, I'm sure, would come close to having to give up your own child. Uh, you know, nothing would come close to what Moses' mum went through. And yet even in those circumstances, even in that distress, in that terror, in that, in that worry, even in those circumstances, God can return to us much more than we ever imagined. Uh, in fact, not only, God, not only can God do it, but actually Jesus promises, Jesus promises that God will do it. Jesus says in Mark 10, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Let me read that again. Truly I tell you, that is, this is absolutely true. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel no one will fail. No one will fail to receive a hundred times more in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. It's remarkable, isn't it? This is absolutely true. No one will fail to receive a hundred times more what they've given up in return from Jesus uh, for giving things up for the sake of the gospel. That's true ultimately. Uh, what we'll receive is eternal life. In the last day, we'll be raised up with Jesus 
And in eternity, we'll never look back to the things that we've given up and think to ourselves, well, I wish I still had that. I wish I still had that car. I wish I still had that, had that, had that bike. Uh, I wish I still had that house. Uh, I, we'll never look back to the things that we've given up for Jesus' sake and, and wish that we hadn't because we'll have a hundred thousand, a million times more in the next life than we've ever had in this life. And all that God gives us will be so much greater, so much more precious, so much more wonderful, so much more abundant than anything that we've ever had in this life. All the sacrifices uh, that, we've in, that we've endured uh, will pale into insignificance compared to the riches which we'll receive from our Heavenly Father. I often... Um, I often think about my, what I call my former life. Uh, I often think about my life uh, as an engineer. Uh, and some days, part of me misses being an engineer. Um, I, would, I don't know that I was a very good one, but I enjoyed doing it at least. Uh, and I, wish, I sometimes wish I'd love, to just, I'd love to just make stuff and learn things and build things. Uh, and yet I have to remind myself that there'll be an eternity to do that, to build, to make, to learn, to discover, to enjoy. Uh, We give things up now, and it's a real loss. But what we get back in eternity is so much richer. Uh, And and that's true of lots of things, isn't it? Uh, There are so many things in this life that would be wonderful to do. Um, But we can't do all of them. And it probably wouldn't be right to try and do all of them. And our commitment to Jesus often calls us to give those things up and to leave those things behind. Um, And it's not just that the gospel calls us to give up wrong things. See, I I think we often think that the hardest thing in life is actually to give up sin for following Jesus. We think the hardest thing in life is to give up sinful things lust, stealing, or whatever it is. But actually, I think the hardest things in life to give up are not the the sinful things, but actually the good things, aren't they? The hardest things in life to give up are the good gifts, the precious gifts, the right gifts. I often often think that about marriage. You know, many many of you know that at least for this part of my life, I've decided to not, not be married in order to have time to serve in the gospel. And I often say to people, uh, that's a choice, that's not a choice between a bad thing and a good thing. Actually, it's a choice, uh, it's a choice to give up the greatest relationship in the world, the most precious relationship in the world, the most intimate relationship that any human being could ever experience. It's a decision to give that up for the sake of eternity. The hardest thing in life is not to give up <laughs> Sinful things. No, the hardest thing in life is to give up the good gifts from God and to give them up for the sake of the, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you might think it would be great to learn to fly an aeroplane. I think that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Or to learn how to ski or to travel on the Trans-Siberian Railway or, or, or to, you know, whatever it is, to, to visit the North Pole or the South Pole or whatever it might be, to fly into space. And they would be amazing things to do. But God's call in our lives is bigger than that. It's bigger than those things. 
And you might have to forgo, forgo those things. You might have to forgo your most cherished dreams to follow and serve Jesus. But Jesus promises, and this passage here in Exodus 2 prom- promises and shows that actually whatever we give up, we'll receive back far more than we've ever lost. So think for a moment what it is that you think that you could never live, that you could never give, out, give up, that you could never live without. Maybe what you could never give up is uh, your family or, or, or friendship. Um, maybe what you could never give up is a house that you've been kind of building for the last 20 years. It's almost there. You've almost finished it. You've almost perfected it. Maybe what you can't give up is your kind of relaxed, semi-rural lifestyle. Uh, Whatever it is, even if you had to give that up, Jesus says, this passage shows us, you won't regret it because... When we hear those words of Jesus, well done, uh, good, and, good and faithful servant, we'll never think, well, I wish I had have kept that thing. We'll think, yes. Yes, it was all worth it, wasn't it? But Jesus says that not only will we receive back in eternity far more than we've ever given up, he says that's also true even now. Jesus says, this is remarkable, we'll get back 100 times, not just in the age to come, but in the present age. And that's what happened to Moses' mother, isn't it? She got back, um, she got back in, in a few hours her own son and money from, from Pharaoh's daughter to support him. And some of us, I, I guess, will have experienced that rich blessing of God in our lives as well. Uh, it's wonderful, I think, to stop and reflect on that to reflect on the ways that God has blessed us and given back to us more than we've ever given up. Uh, so, you know, maybe you've had an experience like this. You've you felt that you should give up, give up, you know, give some money away for gospel work or gospel ministry. Uh, and maybe you kind of felt so convicted about that that you actually gave away more than you maybe really could. You know, it put you right on the edge. Uh, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know how this is going to work out. Uh, and then unexpectedly, someone gives you a, some kind of gift. Uh, someone gives something to you that actually takes away that pressure. Lots of people have experienced those kinds of things. They give, give something up for God and, and, and God provides. Uh, or maybe a friend of yours left to serve on the mission field or serve in ministry somewhere. But then God raised up another person out of nowhere who becomes, uh, becomes a great friend. Now, that's certainly been my experience that in, in all the ways that God has called me to follow him, God has always provided richly, and not just in the life to come, but, but even uh, in this life. Um, I think especially of friends that I've made in, place, in new places as I've left in ministry, you know, you often leave one place to go to another place and you leave friends behind. Um, but in all the new places I've gone, I've often made such wonderful friends. Uh, so let me, tell you, uh, let me tell you about Sally. Uh, Sally was in Canberra. I'd just left home. I'd just moved out of home. Uh, and Sally was like, became like a new mum. Uh, she was probably younger than my own mother. But she was, such a wonderful, she was such a wonderfully compassionate and considerate person, inviting me and others over for lunch on Sundays and dinner and just making sure that, you know, we were going okay. 
Uh, or let me tell you about John. John was, uh, John was the former dean of postgraduate medicine at Cambridge. So, so no lightweight. Uh, and the kind of person who had every right to look down his nose uh, at anybody, I guess. You know, it's, that's prestigious, I guess, in the world of, of academia uh, and medicine. But John was the kind of man who would, sh- uh, who would shake your hand with such love and, and interest that you'd, you'd almost want to burst into tears. It was, it was, you just felt loved. Uh, or, or let me tell you about uh, Barry and, and, uh, and Daniel and Keith. Uh, they were three guys who uh, shared a house. Uh, and for four years, they had me over for dinner every, one night of the week, every Wednesday night for four years, you know, till way past their bedtime. <laughs> We'd stay and we'd stay and we'd chat. Wonderful friends, unexpected. Uh, or let me tell you about Mary from Geelong. She was uh, another student. Uh, she was older than I was, but again, sort of a with a motherly instinct, I think. And uh, and almost every day, Mary would say, "Are you are you looking after yourself, Carl? Are you doing okay?" Uh, she was just such a, a wonderful, uh, kind and compassionate person. And I think many of us have experienced those realities, haven't we? That we, we lose something in the service of the gospel. We lose things or friends or, 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 or people. And God repays us back more than we can imagine. And, and the people that God gives to us and the wonderful gifts that God gives are not always just the people even immediately, in our own, in a, immediately around us. I had an interesting experience uh, recently. I, I messaged someone, I wrote to someone that I'd never met uh, we had a mutual friend, uh, and, and I'd been praying for this person, and I, I thought, well, I just wanted to write to them and tell them uh, that I was praying for them. Uh, and they wrote back, not, not something at any great length, um, but just some very kind words. And I was walking a few days later, uh, and, I, and, and I thought to myself, isn't that lovely? I, I just had, a, I had one of those, an epiphany. I thought to myself, isn't that lovely? That somebody I've never met, we've exchanged... A few words. Isn't it lovely that they... That, this sounds a bit weird. That they appreciate and love me even though we've never met. I thought, isn't that a wonderful gift from God? That someone I've, I've never met, uh, through the gospel, we share this, this bond in Christ. You see, no matter what it is that we give up, Jesus promises, and Exodus 2 shows us, that we will not fail to receive back a hundred times in this life and in the life to come. And whatever we give up, what we receive back from God will make up way more, will make up for uh, whatever it is that we've lost. So here's the homework for this week. I've spent my week doing this. Now here's your homework for this week. That is, spend time reflecting and sharing with each other this week about at least one way in which God has given back to you to make up for what you've given up in following Jesus. Think about the ways that God has given back to you. As he gave back to Moses' mum, the ways that God has given back to you, the things that you've given up in people, in circumstances, in life, in good gifts. And share that with other people around you. So God works in unexpected ways, through unexpected kindness, through unexpected gifts, But while the beginning of this chapter goes well, the things in the second half of this chapter are more ominous. Uh, In verse 11, we read about 
uh, something that happened once Moses had grown up. Uh, He was out one day walking, and he sees this Egyptian beating up one of his own people. Uh, And Moses uh, kind of takes things into his own hands, I guess. He looks around, he makes sure no one's looking, uh, and then he strikes this Egyptian down and he, uh, and he kills him and hides the body. It's a pretty confronting episode, I think. Uh, and it's hard to know what to make of Moses' actions here. On the surface, it seems like an act of arbitrary retribution. But a closer look, I think, suggests otherwise. Now, the word which is used to describe Moses beating this Egyptian is the same word that's used to describe the Egyptians striking the Hebrew slave. So it's kind of a, kind of a mirror, mirror act, if you like. And it's the same word used in the next verse to describe one kind of Hebrew slave striking the other one. In other words, it's not necessary to assume that what Moses intended to do here is specifically is to kill the Egyptian. Rather, what seems to be kind of going on, I think is that Moses saw that one of his fellow Israelites was being struck and he came to his defence. And in Moses coming to this man's defence, this Egyptian lost his life. That is, it was, it was a, Moses struck down this Egyptian to save the life of one of his fellow Israelites. Uh, when the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on this uh, event, he says in chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, So when he'd grown up, that's now, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, he's, he's saying that in this moment, in coming to the aid of his countrymen, Moses was making a profound choice. He was making a choice between... Will I continue to live in Pharaoh's household under the protection and the provision of Pharaoh's daughter with all the riches and all the treasures that that entails? Will I continue to live in that lifestyle or will I side with my own people, with God's own people? And the writer of Hebrews says, Moses chose to side with God's own people. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He could have sat by idly and watched his fellow countryman be be murdered, be beaten to death. But he didn't. He chose to give up the privileges which he had and to be mistreated with the people of God. And the end result of that, the end result of Moses' actions, was that he was driven away. Pharaoh seeks to kill him. He'd chosen his side and now he had to suffer. But what's unexpected, I think, is that Moses is not just driven away by Pharaoh, he's actually driven away by his own people. The next day Moses is out walking again and he comes across two of his countrymen fighting and when he tries to stop them fighting, one of them turns on him and says, well, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you you going to kill me too? And fearing for his life, Moses flees to Midian, uh, he goes there, he rescues a couple more people, seven daughters of this man, uh, Ruel or Jethro. Uh, he ends up marrying one of them, Zipporah. They have a child whom they name Gershom. Uh, and the name of that child is significant. In verse 22, we're told that it means, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. It's a pretty kind of depressing name, isn't it? <laughs> I've been a foreigner in a foreign land. 
The last two verses of the chapter tell us that God's people are still being oppressed, but that God has heard them and he will deliver them. And what's left unsaid, but which we know from the rest of Exodus, is that the person that God is raising up to rescue these people uh, is, is the Moses who's now living as a foreigner in a foreign land. Rejected by Pharaoh, rejected by his own people. And so this chapter, in a way, presents us with this strange mix of highs and lows. We find this man, Moses, we find him specially protected by God, protected through Pharaoh's own daughter, uh, brought, brought into the house of, of, uh, of Pharaoh, raised up to deliver God's people, but then rejected and living as a stranger in some foreign, foreign land, in the land of Midian. What this chapter does is right from, the, right from the kind of the beginning of Exodus, it presents us with this question that then goes on, recurs through the book of Exodus and actually recurs through the, book, through the rest of the Bible and, and pushes through into our day. Uh, that is, the question is, will people accept the rescuer that God has raised up? God has raised up Moses. He's gone to all this effort. But will the people accept him? But the question for you and me is not, will we accept Moses? Moses has been and gone. Rather, the question that this chapter forces us to ask ourselves is, will we accept the greater rescuer that God has raised up, that is Jesus Christ? The person that God has raised up for us is not Moses. We don't need to go through the Red Sea. The person that God has raised up is Jesus Christ. Just like Moses, God raised him up in extraordinary circumstances. Even more extraordinary circumstances than Exodus chapter 2. Jesus was God's own son, born of a virgin, born into our world. He was protected like Moses uh, from the slaughter of innocent boys. Herod sent the order throughout Bethlehem that all the children had to be below uh, a certain age had to be killed. But Jesus was protected. He was protected by God throughout his life and ministry. But just like Moses, people rejected Jesus as well. They utterly rejected him, in fact, and crucified him on a tree. And yet, it was remarkable that in that very act of killing him, God made Jesus the ultimate rescuer of the world. God made him the rescuer who forgives sins and raises the dead. Not just a rescuer who brings people out of a land uh, and out of slavery, but a rescuer who forgives sins and raises the dead. Moses took a life to save a life, and he was rejected for it by God's own people and Jesus gave his own life to save many and people still reject him for it and the question for you and me is how will we receive him we've rejected Jesus once as human beings we've crucified him and the question for us is will we reject him again There's lots of ways that you and I can reject Jesus. One of the ways that we can reject Jesus is like the man in Exodus 2, the way that he rejected Moses. It's by saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? That is, you say to Jesus, you're not the boss, I'm the boss. This is my life. Get out of here. Another way that you can reject Jesus is just to ignore him. You might not be an atheist. Uh, You might even come to church, but Jesus is still not in charge. Jesus is not the boss. He's just the name that you use when you need something from God. I ask it in Jesus' name. 
uh, or he's the badge that you wear when you walk through the doors coming into church. But like rejecting Moses, if we reject Jesus, there's no other way to be swept up in God's plan to save the world. There's no other way to be swept up in God's plan for saving the world than, to be, than, to, than by receiving Jesus and, and trusting our lives to him. There's no one else coming. There's no, there's no greater Messiah. Jesus is it. And if we overlook him, if we pass him by, we miss out. We miss out on all those things. The eternal life. The gifts that God gives back to those who give up their lives for Jesus' sake. And the only thing that's left is a fearful expectation of judgment. God has done, gone to extraordinary lengths to raise up a Messiah. He's used all kinds of people, worked in all kinds of unexpected ways. And the question is, do we receive him or do we not? More than anything else, Exodus shows us that God's unexpected work was just a foretaste of a greater work, a greater work in raising up Jesus. And what you and I need to do is not believe in Moses or receive Moses, but we need to receive Jesus and trust that in latching onto him and giving our lives to him, that God is saving us from judgment and delivering us for eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, born into our world, born as a man, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and ascended into hell, into, descended into hell, and was raised again, and ascended into heaven. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who you raised up to take the punishment for our sins, uh, that we might go free. And Lord, we pray that we would not, none of us, reject him, but that we would receive him and entrust our lives to him. And Lord, thank you that doing that is uh, safe. Uh, and maybe it might not be easy, but thank you that it's safe and good. And thank you that even as we do that and even as you call us to give up all kinds of things in the service of Christ, even great good gifts, Lord, thank you that you promise that uh, whatever we've given up for Jesus Christ we'll receive back. We won't fail to receive back a hundred times more in this life and in the life to come. Lord, thank you that it's safe for Jesus to be our ruler and judge and help us to, do, to give him our lives. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.